0: Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Follow-up podcast. Uh, been a little while since I've been in your ears. Some of you may know that I've been traveling. I was in America for three weeks and then over in London for a week. And then the last three weeks, I've been in a place called Waverley Abbey, just outside of town called Farnham here in England, and having a great time here living a monastic life uh, with the seed community uh, and some of the guys from 24-7 Prayer. But um, as I was traveling, I was meeting different people and One or two of those people, I just thought, man, I'd love to get these guys on the Follower Podcast, because, uh, mostly because of the connection I felt that happened at the time when we met, but also because of the story they carry and the message that God was kind of stirring in their heart. And one of those people was a guy called Alan Frau, and Alan is uh, joining us on the podcast today. Alan, welcome to the Follower Podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Matthew. Great to be on your uh, podcast and fantastic to reconnect with you after meeting you in LA.
0: Yeah. So we met in California. We had a common friend, uh, Ben Knobs. And man, we just went through and, and connected a bit and just prayed together. And Alan, I don't know how you remember that space, but for me, it just felt like such a thin place, felt like such a time when there was a real presence of the Lord and a real kind of yeah, it was, it was just beautiful, man. And and after that, as while we were praying, I just really had a sense that the Lord was saying, just lean in this direction. There's something for you yeah. and something in this friendship. But I don't know how you felt that space went. I uh, appreciate that. It did feel like a thin place, and
1: I uh, had just preached on the Sunday before on uh, out of Hebrews twelve about entertaining strangers, um, and uh, you know, there's that beautiful verse about. Entertaining strangers, for by so doing, you may be entertaining angels unaware. So we would started this uh, campaign for the fall called 500 Tables. And uh, it was really calling our church to 500 moments of hospitality to strangers. And just trusting that God's God's kingdom would would break in, heaven would draw near. So uh, I knew Benjamin and I was going to have lunch with him, but heard that he was with um, to friends. so ended up just inviting you know all three of you f- to a, a, a lunch of Mexican food and our excellent. I, I really felt like I was entertaining angels. God, God drew near. you guys prophesied over the church and over me and it was just demonstrating what God can do when you get around a table with people who love Jesus, even if they're strange, they become family very quickly.
0: Yeah, that is what's cool, right? It's like when you share Christ. Not calling
1: you strange, just strange.
0: <laughs> Although I am a little strange. I don't I don't find that fact. It's probably quite true. <laughs> Me too. Um hey Alan, give us give us a little sense of who you are. So for the people listening, uh you originally come from South Africa. So it's a bit about your family, yep. a bit about growing up there and how you found your, your yeah. way to to California.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. So I grew up in, in Hillcrest and um was part of this this church, interesting church, Methodist church, but we had a a, a Pentecostal pastor who was our our, uh, youth leader and so introduced us to the life of the Spirit and uh, we had a little revival in our youth basement. Um, Met my my wife through that. She was at the same high school as I was um, and... Yeah, I mean, just an amazing, amazing youth group to to grow up in, and I left after school um, to join Youth for Christ uh, for a year, and I travelled around during that time, and actually went to the states. When I was in the states, we did a five-state um, tour in um, in five weeks, and um, I I felt the Lord speak quite clearly to me about. Uh, living one day in California. So I came home and said to Ronell, who I would then marry, man, if we get married, just know that you're going to live in California. Wow. Um, and uh, so that was 1990. And it took 18 years before we, we actually got there. We got married in 1994, the year Nelson Mandela was released from prison. Um, we both became teachers. Um, I, I got involved in a little... Christian record company in Kloof called Sarepta Music and we, we found ourselves distributing all of the British worship stuff um, Martin Smith, Matt Redman, that sort of stuff and so grew a relationship with those guys and then ended up being signed to that record company and signed to Survivor Records where we, uh, we began writing and recording original worship stuff and, and then touring in England etc. So yeah, that, that was that was something of our, our earlier sort of ministry life. Uh, then moved on to pastor a church. We were at a church in Hillcrest called uh, Hillside Church. You might know it. Yes, I do. Um, and, uh, and I was there for seven years on staff um, and then uh, moved up to Johannesburg where we were on staff uh, at a larger church called uh, Bryanston New Covenant for a couple of years and then went to to lead a church for five years. Um, And yeah, during that time was traveling quite a lot just with worship and doing conferences around the world, et cetera. And uh, landed with a church in California, Southlands that was hosting a conference. And the pastor there, who's also South African said to me, man, would you be open to uh, handing over your church and coming and joining us? And that was kind of a bolt out of the blue, but, Something resonated just because we knew that there was a long-term California call. So we took two years to discern whether that was from God or not and, and felt it was. And so I handed over our church end of 2007 and moved here, landed here. So we've been here ever since. Mm. So that's the postage stamp version of, of our lives. So we've got yeah. uh, three kids. We've been married 28 years. Um, and our oldest is 23, Asha. And uh, we have a daughter who's 19. And uh, a younger son who's 16. So we've been here ever since. We've been here 15 years. So we're US citizens, but we've kept our South African dual citizenship too. We love South Africa yeah. and try and get back as often as we can.
0: Man, a, a lot. Uh, well, there's a lot to unpack there for another conversation, another day. I'd love to uh, hear more about your band and gallivanting around yeah. the, the world. Yeah. Sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But one um, one of the things you said was that uh, for you there was like a saving faith at thirteen, but this revelation yeah. of lordship at sixteen. Yeah. I just felt that was interesting and wanted to pull a little bit okay. on that string there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a pretty rebellious sort of PK. My dad was always in in business, but he was a, a pastor in the church too, and. Um, Around age 13, I just was not interested in going to church. I asked if I could stop going to church. I was playing rugby on a Sunday and really wanted to hang out with my friends. And my dad was interesting. He's a wise guy. And he just said, no, while you're under my roof, you will come to church. Um, and when you, you leave our home, uh, you can do whatever you want and you'll be accountable to God. But for now, you're accountable to me. And so you will go to church. So I went very reluctantly. Off to youth group, and I just remember um, being in kind of a youth rally. We used to have youth rallies in those days. Yeah, uh, I can't remember who was speaking, but it was the the room was full, and I just remember sitting at the back of that room after uh, the service was over, and just feeling the need for the love of God, and just repenting and asking God to reveal His His love to me through Jesus. And so that was a moment when I, I began to own my own faith. I believe I was saved that night. But, um, you know, like many high school students, just really wrestling with what it is to follow Jesus, what it is to be in the world, but not of it, etc. And I think for a few years, I got that wrong. Um, I had I had good, good months and bad months, but I was in this kind of sport, sports crowd. And I I felt quite um, embarrassed of my, some of my more geeky Christian friends. Mm. Um, and I just remember one night I was—I I had a really good friend called Peter Fitt, who still lives in Kloof, actually, at the moment. And um, I was out one night at Westville Country Club at a Blarney Brothers beer fest. Mm-hmm. And uh, Blarney Brothers was this kind of Irish uh, music and uh, band, and, and we were drinking sort of warm German beer, listening to bad Irish music. <laughs> Apologies <laughs> to Blarney Brothers. But um, and I just felt a conviction, man. I felt a conviction. I felt empty. Yeah. And I walked out of this big beer tent and I, I lay on the soccer field at Westfall uh, Country Club. And um, I remember just looking up at the stars and just saying, God, I feel empty. Right. Um, and um, at that point, I just felt like. Heaven poured into me. It was just an amazing mm. moment of submitting to, to Jesus. Um, and I went home that night and I said to my mom, Mom, um, like I've given my life to Jesus. Um, I think before I'd, I'd invited Jesus into my life, <laughs> mm. but I actually mm. hadn't given my life to Jesus. He mm. was sort of a compartment there. And um, And my mom was amazing. She just said, well, I'm so glad about that. I've always prayed that you would feel empty in your sin. Wow! And uh, so you know, God hears the prayers of a mom, eh? Totally. How
0: um, many people?
1: Uh, what's that?
0: How many people are are following God today are in some form of service because of praying moms, right? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Okay. We're so thankful. And what was fascinating is, is she waited until that time to tell me about a dream that she'd had. When she was pregnant with me, she nearly bled to death um, giving birth to me. I'm a pretty big guy and I was a big baby. Um, I still am a big baby right now, I suppose. <laughs> but um, but she, she had a dream that sustained her um, through childbirth. And it was of uh, the, the child in her, in her stomach that would be a preacher that traveled around with a guitar. Wow. And so she told me about that dream after I'd said to her, hey, I've given my life to Jesus. And what's interesting, I came from a really musical family, uh, but I was the one that wasn't that interested in music. I played the drums, but I didn't want to kind of follow in my, my family's footsteps. I was more the sports guy. But actually from that time, I just developed a passion for worship and for playing the guitar. My dad taught me some chords. I started writing songs and uh, worship just beca- became very much my my uh, happy place. Mm. Um, but actually, my mom really really waited until she'd seen me submit to Jesus' lordship before she told me that. So, yeah, that
0: was a that was an amazing moment that night. Beautiful man. And you know, you know why it's um, why I wanted to lean in there? I just was thinking, I wonder how many people are listening or who will listen to this, if you're listening to this right now, and something stirring in you around um, some of that language that Alan used in, in the sense that he had given his life to Jesus, but still felt empty. Um, and there was, there was something more needed. Alan, I don't know what your experience is, but I've just felt so many Christians that I speak to. It's like there's this analogy that John Wesley uses about the house, uh, and he yeah. talks about how you know salvation is crossing the threshold of the of the entranceway, right? Yes, so many yes. people just get stuck in the in the foyer there, and they never realize yeah. this entire house to explore. And no, it's that's just right. what would you say to someone right now who's listening to that and going, I so resonate with that. I would. Consider myself yes. a Christian, I guess. I would think I'm saved if that's the language you yeah. want. I'm
1: yeah. still empty yeah.
0: in my sin. What would you say to that person?
1: Yeah, so good. I love the analogy of the home. Uh, and I, I, um, I'm I actually reading a little booklet right now. I can't even remember who um, who wrote it, but it's this old booklet where, and it's called um, Making Your Life Christ's Home. Mm. Um and he actually takes you through each room as a portion of your life. So he he talks about the living room, you know, and this is where you you just are with your friends and your family, and invite him into the li- living room. And he talks about the study, and this is where you know you 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 think and your worldview, and invite him into that, you know, um, and uh, into the bathroom. That's where you know you you mor- uh, morality. You know where where you either are living clean or living dirty. Invite him into that. It's just a very simple but beautiful way of systematically saying, Jesus, you know, you're you're at the door knocking. That's what he said in Revelation three. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone um opens the door i'll come in and eat with him and he he wants to come and be with us in every room of our of our life and i think so often it's like we 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 leave him on the front porch you know or at the threshold and and that's because we know that actually he will come and he'll rearrange the furniture (laughs) right Uh, yeah he does Um, but actually like he's a great life designer Um, he wants to bring an extreme makeover to our lives and so my encouragement would be man invite him into your financial life invite him into the into the kitchen invite him into the bathroom invite him into the study into every area um, because he's he's your designer um, and he he's got life abundantly for you
0: at this point you know i'd I'd love to move from that thought um to your book and and the reason is because a lot of the time we can say something like that you know and and often in ministry we say these things like invite the lord in and then i find sometimes i sit with people and they go yes but how yeah like that's such a great idea matt but 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 how
1: and you've written
0: this book called uh, psalms for a saturated soul an ancient guide to emotional health and in some ways, this idea of this saturated soul, I just felt like as you led led us through the Psalms in the way that you did, it was some of that journey. It was opening up the whole of myself to God. I don't yeah. know if you would relate to some of that.
1: Yeah, I, I would. I think, um, I think the room of the soul um, is, depending on your culture, depending on your upbringing, family of origin, even de- depending on your, your church experience and certainly depending on your gender, um, it's one of the last aspects, that uh, last rooms that we, we open up to, to Jesus so often um, because it's, it's, it's the place of our emotions. Um, and we, we're not sure whether God is interested um, in our emotions, I think often um, in cultures or in uh, church backgrounds that are not emotional, that are more about doctrinal truth, um, that we, we, we're not sure whether God is interested in our emotions. So we tend to have that closed off and we, we will tend actually to go to a counselor more quickly than we'll actually go to God with our souls
0: interesting and I,
1: I'm actually all for counselors uh, especially if they they love Jesus uh, I go to one every month uh, I'm not against that but but I think that we don't realize that God gave us the Psalms to show us how interested he is in soul health emotional mm-hmm. health um, mm-hmm. and and I think probably uh, the church has only begun to awaken to that in the last decade or so. Of course, there's been some aspects of the church over the centuries that has been very healthy in this area, but the evangelical church in particular, and even the charismatic Pentecostal uh, disciplines often haven't known what to do with emotions and the soul. And um, Martin Luther talked about the Psalms as not just the songbook of the people of God, but actually uh, the emotional health book of... Mm. Uh, of the people of God. And he he says they show the intricate anatomy of the soul because there we find every range of emotion. And Mm. so God dignifies our range of emotions and actually promises that he will restore our souls. So God doesn't just save us in our spirits. um, He, he restores our souls and that's good news.
0: Mm. Very good. Really, really good. And it's, you know, I think what I like about the Psalms particularly is how honest they are. I think sometimes yeah. people from the outside looking in, they have this perception of the Bible that it's so, it's quite surgical and yeah. it's quite static, almost like a two-dimensional yeah. thing. You know, there's that, even yeah. that phrase of basic instructions before leaving earth. And I get yeah. the sentiment, but it's it's just so static in its nature. Whereas I think uh, what you're talking about, and even here, some of your language, you talk about how um, the Psalms don't offer us simple formulas, uh, but they give us language of formation and permission to be in flux while simultaneously pointing us to the Creator. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that, not just simple formulas, but this influx. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, I think we are creatures that are impatient. And we want shortcuts and quick fixes. That's why we love, you know, airport airport life coach books that are, you know, ten steps to happiness or five steps to emotional fulfillment, etc. And you know, the Psalms don't give us that. Um, the, they they are not formulaic. Um, they they give us um, a vocabulary of the emotions. Um, they give us a glimpse into other people of faith, how they process their souls. Um, but actually often the Psalms don't put like a, a neat, they don't tie a neat bow on people's life situations. Right. Uh, they full of hope, but they show a God that is compassionate, a God that is near to the brokenhearted, um, and a God who, who cares, um, and so they offer really a redemptive hope. And I I uh, remember about 10 years ago, maybe even more, maybe 15, reading um, a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression. And Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor, but he became really one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century in England. And um, he wrote this book that was really diagnosing um the problems of the soul, but mm-hmm. but but giving a a spiritual remedy to them, gotcha. and he particularly he particularly delved into Psalm forty two, as as a remedy, and I I started to see now this is not a formula, but it's it, it does actually it, it's it's almost like a like a like a trellis to a vine, it mm-hmm. it it offers some form um, to the processing of our souls, so that we're not just left with our bundle of emotions—we we're actually able to to process them in a in a reasonable way before God, and so I began to to teach that I I, I realized like in the churches that I I was involved with, uh, church that we led, but churches in our network, there was often a real emotional unhealth. Um, it's not that people were like outright immoral or they were backslidden; um, they were actually Often I would find leaders, especially that love Jesus and love God's people, but that just had an absence of joy, mm. uh, had an absence of peace. They were living with real anxiety. They were living with bitterness. Um, they were living with, I would just say, joylessness. And I, I detected that in my own life too. Um, and, you know, living with this horrible tension of formal ministry responsibility, but really a, a lack of spiritual reality. And you know that that tension can can kill you, um, because you end up faking it and you end up playing games, and, and there's just not a reality. So I started teaching on on the Psalms as a great remedy for emotional unhealth, um, and then you know started to stumble over books by a guy called uh, Pete Sciarro, uh, yeah. emo- emotional healthy, emotionally healthy spirituality, and in it he says that. You know, we we will never be spiritually healthy if we don't attend to our emotional unhealth. Um, and you know that that's a big statement. But we know we know people who are so-called spiritually mature, who are emotionally very unhealthy, and it's just horrible, man. Because they like they might have a gift, they might be sharp prophetically or amazing preachers or worship leaders, but actually, like what you catch from, from them is not health. <laughs> right. And and so, you know, you you, you want to build a bridge between their spiritual maturity and their emotional health. And those are often actually some of the most difficult people to lead uh, because they they have a very sort of proven gift, but it's not coming from a place of wholeness. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, just asking, what, what does it mean to love the Lord your God, not only with your... Mind uh, and your strength, your heart, but with your soul. If if God wants us to love Him with our soul, well, then there must be wholeness for our for our soul.
0: Mm.
1: And so the book is trying to answer that conundrum.
0: Brilliant. And you know, I'm just thinking about um, some of the guys, Eleanor, and you will know this within your networks. I yeah. speak to some of uh, some guys, and I start having this conversation around emotional health and yeah. health of the soul. Only because yeah. I, I don't know about you, but it was my own journey of absolute desperation yeah. <laughs> that led yeah. me there. I just you know it yeah. was like no amount of, of a head full of theology could fill the gaps that I was feeling in my life. Yes, yes. Um, and I speak with some guys, and they because of their theological paradigm, there's a real skepticism yeah. around any conversation around yes. the emotions.
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: You could just speak to that.
1: Yeah, it's good. Well, you know. Uh, coming from a South African background where to be a man is often just to suck it up, stiff up a lip. Uh, It's more stoic than anything else. Mm. Don't, you know, cowboys don't cry, that sort of stuff. Um, It does particularly make it difficult for men to acknowledge that there is emotional brokenness. Um, And the way that manifests is in, uh, one of two ways. Either men become what I call volcanoes, where they explode in anger, and that results in often violence or bullying, um, outrage um, that's taken out on wives and and friends and kids, etc., employees. Or otherwise, they become valley men, either volcanoes or valleys, uh, where they just retreat into isolation, often depression, but they can't admit that it's depression, so they they call it something else. I'm just bummed out, or whatever, you know. And mm. then they'll they'll self-medicate either th- through through money, through work, through some sort of substance abuse, through sex, through porn, um, through video games, whatever. And and so the the valley or the or the volcano is there. Um, and I think particularly in South Africa, with a certain um, uh, caricature of what it is to be a strong man. That's that's hard, but that's not limited to South Africa. Uh, many cultures are like that. Yeah. But then also, theologically, as you say, you know, I come from a group of churches that would pride themselves on being theologically doctrinally sound and good and strong. Um, but actually, you know, the, I, I care deeply about that. But the reality is, some of the angriest guys have some of the the, the sharpest theology. And well, why yeah. is that? Like, what, yeah. what's what's missing there? Um, and and so. You know, God wants us to not have to choose between doctrinal soundness and emotional health. Yes. Um, and, I mean, if we're following Jesus, Jesus expressed a range of emotions. Uh, it, you know, at one point it says, he said, I am overwhelmed with sorrow. <laughs>
0: yeah. Jesus wept
1: uh, at a funeral. Yeah. Uh, Jesus uh, got, got really like... Uh, exasperated at the lack of faith of his family. You know, there there's just a a, a range. Jesus it said was acquainted with a man of sorrows acquainted with um, sorrow and then also was anointed with joy above his, his his fellows. So to be godly does not mean to be sort of Scandinavian where we just you know don't show any emotion. Yeah. Actually to to be godly means to be in touch with emotions, but mm. actually not to be ruled by our emotions. Correct. And yes. I think you know the thing that I try and teach my kids and teach our congregation is that 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 feelings are a wonderful servant, but a wicked master. Wow. Um, and so we need to be able to mention fe- feelings are mentionable, but they are also manageable. Um, that's what Mister Rogers said. And <laughs> and so I think. Um, I think very often if we don't mention how we're feeling, we aren't able to manage how we're feeling. And so the Lord wants to give us vocabulary for, for, for how we're feeling and safe places to express that. But then he gives us community and he gives us his spirit to actually be able to manage those. It's interesting that the fruit of the spirit are mainly emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the spirit is does work in the realms of of emotion, but he doesn't want us to be slaves to our emotion.
0: And there's such an important distinction that you've drawn there. I think yeah. it's, it's right to put up the cautionary, which is to say that that embracing our emotions doesn't mean we're ruled yeah. by our emotions but it but it yeah. is a place where we meet god you know we right. can only we right. must meet god where we are not where we pretend yeah. i think sometimes under the the banner of faith sometimes uh they, we can slip into denial right? right and so it's like how are you feeling now i'm awesome and i'm, I'm just facing it but in reality there's just a denial that actually we, we remove ourselves from the, the ability to meet with jesus in vulnerable spaces
1: That's, that's absolutely true. I remember early on, my dad, because I was an emotional teenager, he, he drew this um, picture of a, of a train with the engine and the carriages. Mm. And the, over the engine, he wrote the word of God. And over the carriages, uh, he wrote feelings. And he just he said, look, your feelings are important, but actually they need to be led by the word of God. Yeah. Um, because your feelings are fickle, but the word of God is stable. And yeah. that was very helpful for me as a, as a, as a young teenager, I've, I've continued to, to use that. It's like, well, what's, what's leading? Is it, is it the truth of the word of God that's stable or my, my feelings that are, are fickle. But yeah. as you say, that can very easily turn into a denial of your feelings. And that's not what the Psalms are for sure. Really? Um, there's, there's a, there's an acknowledgement of feelings, a pouring out to God of the psalmist's feelings in very messy ways. I mean, David said, "All night long, I drenched my couch with tears." I mean, this was the warrior king all night long, right. um, weeping. You know, um, and and yet there's always an appeal to um, a higher truth, um, God's faithfulness, God's covenant, God's mercy, and um, and I think our culture. And, and I use that word really broadly, but 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 our culture will tend to say no. You must just do what feels right to you, um, and don't fake it. You know, just 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 be yourself. You be you, um, and and that's actually a corruption of of the biblical idea of of feelings, which is actually to say acknowledge how you feel. Right. Very often your feelings will be leading you in the right way but sometimes they'll be leading you in the wrong way and so bring your feelings um, into submission to God's word Um, don't deny them and use God's word as the plumb line for actually uh, is what I'm feeling right or is what I'm feeling uh, wrong and I think that's, that's, that's so so vital that we don't use our feelings just as an excuse to well I was just feeling this way, and so I'll i act out on that as well. I mean, you know, we we, we find we find ourselves in an absolute crisis around gender and sexuality right. because people have made an idol of their feelings. Yeah, um, and I don't want to limit, you know, or reduce this to something simple. It's very complex. If you are feeling very powerfully that this is who I am, or this is who I, I'm attracted to, et etc. But our culture has made actually feelings uh, concrete and our body plastic. In other words, how we feel about ourselves, we see as the most powerful thing. And so we will change our body determined by our feelings because they are concrete. Whereas the Bible actually says, no, our feelings are not nothing, but they are plastic and our bodies are concrete. Like our, our bodies are what God has given us. Yeah. Um, and so the objective truth of our bodies actually is more concrete than our feelings that are malleable and plastic. Yeah. Now, we, we, we're talking about sexual ethics here, but it, it's actually vital that we uh, we come to terms with that because actually our our, our culture has told us, no, our feelings are, are concrete and our bodies are plastic. Mm. And that's why people are making such massive, massive permanent decisions based on how they feel at any one time yeah. and that is dangerous
0: yeah thanks for those things Alan. and and i, I like the, the 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 tension that you're striking here because um i do think that extremity in either direction is generally an yes. just in general right. i think the truth is yes. most often found in the tension and yes I think, I think what we find is these extreme polars of shutting yeah. down the emotions becoming really right. cerebral Uh, You know, like the sort of deifying of systematic theology. Not Again, not that any of that stuff is necessarily bad. Like theology as a map for God is really, really helpful. But but when it's divorced from the humanness of the individual, unhelpful. And then on the other side of the spectrum, really kind of indulging in licentiousness and giving ourselves to uh, over-emotionalism. And again, that being unhelpful but somewhere yeah. in the tension. And I, and I think, you know, yeah. I love this. In your book, you use this phrase. You say, um, our bloodied knees don't make us freaks, right? Yeah. They, don't, they don't exempt us from the story. So when we enter into that tension, I think why it's really important to highlight that is because I think on either side of the spectrum, people have felt excluded from the story of God because yes. they are honest about their internal world. It's paradoxical. It's messed up. And I think what right. I like about how you're framing the Psalms and actual uh, spiritual maturity is saying, well, th- this is the human story, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, yes. you're, you're not alone in that. There's a rich heritage of people
1: That's right.
0: who, who, That's right. who have bloodied knees. Maybe just talk to that a bit.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I love that, that you picked up that in the Psalms. I I do think the Psalms are sanity to people who feel like freaks. Um, and I, I think that God includes in the Psalms people that like sound like they, they're losing their minds mm. um, to actually show us that we are in the company of saints who love God, who sometimes got so low and so dark and so paranoid um, that, I mean, honestly, like, you go like David. Are you losing your mind? You know, yeah. um, and and that's to dignify us when we feel like, gosh, am I the only one that feels this way? You know, so so he he God dignifies us by by putting us in the company of of other other people of faith that that walk through really dark dark times. And I think so often um, people who do suffer from depression. Uh, you know, intense anxiety, perhaps bipolar, where there's a a chemical imbalance, etc., or people who um, just feel self-loathing, people who get ad- addicted, people, you know, just just people who wrestle with with really deep and and dark feelings can feel like I am the only one, mm. and uh, and the Psalms are just a wonderful, wonderful reminder because Satan would love to single us out and say, you're the only one that feels this way. Right. But in the Psalms, we feel a company. Uh, we find a company of, of saints that, um, that feel pretty extreme things. And then even more importantly, we've, we find a God of compassion who has deep sympathy um, on us. Who's close to the brokenhearted. And that's so powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you have pointed out again and again in this book, is that ultimately the, it, it, we are always pointing to the enduring hope. Uh, yeah. as well. I love that. I love that the, start, the Psalms and really the, the gospel um, meets us right in the middle of our mess, doesn't shame us for that, doesn't make us bel- belittled for that, doesn't exclude us for yeah. that. But God is yeah. the God who walks through the crucifixion and walks out the other side in the resurrection, you know? Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, so
0: there is totally. there is hope, and not a superficial. It's not plastic. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's wrestled through so, hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean the 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 Hebrew word that I I find in the Psalms that's that's often used. It's it's used in Psalm 42, um, is the word uh, downcast. Um, and and that word downcast can mean anything from. Uh, In the Hebrew, anything from just feeling a a little bit melancholic um, to absolute just intense anxiety um, and uh, a person who's absolutely distraught. And so it's like God puts his arms very widely around a whole range of people uh, feeling a whole range of emotions. Saying you know you're not you're not alone. I, I just think it's so wonderful that that God gives such a, a rich vocabulary of the soul in the Psalms. So just even mm. even in this particular one, he uses the word downcast. He also uses the word uh, turmoil. He uses the word uh, mourning. He uses the word wounded. Um, and and so you know, God is God of of the emotions um, and. Uh, That's because he's the great physician of the soul. And so, yeah, man, I think the Psalms are on the bottom shelf for the people of God. And even people that are not Christians, they can find in the Psalms a God of compassion that they never knew existed.
0: Beautiful. Alan, as we uh, start to wrap up this time, I wonder if, as you think back of our discussion now and you imagine just in your mind, some of the people who'd be listening into this, imagine if they were sort of sitting out there in front of you, is there anything that you really just feel prompted by, by God just to really highlight or even something we haven't said, but just in this moment, an opportunity to, I guess, really wait something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This
1: time? yeah. I think Matthew, I would say this, that very often our souls are downcast. Um, not because they're too empty, but because they're too full. Mm-hmm. Um, say that so, again.
0: I'll say that again. That's I'll a good one. Yeah,
1: they they are they are downcast because they are like waterlogged sponges. Particularly from Psalm forty-two, where this the psalmist is panting after the living water of God, but he then pours out his soul. Um, and you go, oh, this guy's not thirsty because he's dry and empty. He's thirsty because he's too full. That's why he's pouring out his soul. Wow. And that's the the paradox of the psalm, um, is that sometimes we are like a waterlogged sponge that's Mm. been sitting in dirty bathwater, that it's like we need actually to be squeezed out before we can be filled again. Um, Or like someone who... um, who swims in a salty ocean and drinks a whole lot of seawater and comes up thirsty. It's not that they empty, it's that they're full of the wrong stuff. Wow. And so, so often we are full of the wrong stuff. We're full of all of our own pain. We've stuffed our souls full of social media and other people's opinions of us, Um, sometimes substances that we've asked, we've hoped would, would medicate our pain. Um, uh, we often entertaining ourselves to death. We've tried to stuff our souls with, with, with possessions and money and career and achievements, etc. cetera, relationships, sex. Uh, that's going to try and cure our souls, and they end up like waterlogged sponges. And uh, so God's not formula, but but process of formation is that we pour out our souls, we empty our souls before we can be filled again. And that's what we see. And I would just encourage people to empty their souls before God, to pour out your soul in lament, to pour out your soul in frustration. God is kind enough and secure enough to handle your bitterness, your frustration, your anger, uh, your regret. uh, Pour it out on him. Mm. And um, this Psalm, Psalm 42, is full of that. Um, And I I would encourage people to do that. Uh, Grab a hold of Psalm 42 and begin to pour out. Your, your soul. Um, and then there's this moment where he begins to speak to his soul. Um, and that's that's something of what we've been talking about, where he says, look, I'm not denying my, my feelings, uh, but now I'm actually speaking the truth of God um, to my soul. I'm speaking truth that is more stable than my fickle feelings. Wow. And that's also a powerful way of processing our souls. And in doing that, he describes himself as being plunged into a waterfall of God's love. So he begins by uh, panting after a stream and ends up being plunged into a, into a waterfall.
0: And, and um,
1: that's that's very hopeful, that actually God does have refreshing for our thirsty souls. Right. But we've got to do some hard work in between. And that hard work includes um, pouring out our souls and listening to our souls and speaking to our souls. Uh, so that's what I would say to, to individuals.
0: Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Man, that was good. Uh, we're going to end with you uh, reading a psalm for us, uh, one that's yeah. just during you and praying for us to close. But yeah. just before we do, I'd love to just make sure that people uh, are able to get hold of this book. So it's called Psalms for a Saturated Soul, an yeah. ancient guide to emotional health. Uh, where yeah. can where can people get a hold of this, Adam? Yeah,
1: uh, Amazon, the great <laughs> store, in, store in the sky. I feel a little <laughs> bit... Uh, Conflicted by by using them, but they are they are really the the best way to get um, the book to many different nations. So I'm actually I'm actually grateful to them for that. And so yeah, Amazon and uh, that's available in many many countries. And I've found that even countries that don't have Amazon there can often uh, order it from the from a neighbouring country, etc. So yeah, it's on Amazon.
0: Okay, fantastic. So guys, make sure you have a look at that. Uh, we'll have links to that book and all the other books that Alan has mentioned in the show notes so make sure you go check that out but um, to end Alan if you could just lead us through a psalm and then just pray pray for us and pray for the people listening sure. as we end up yeah. yeah great okay.
1: I'm going to read Psalm 42 as the deer pants for flowing streams so my soul pants for you O God Why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep, calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Father, we thank you so much that in the Psalms you show that we are in the company of the saints who have seasons of turmoil of having downcast souls, of feeling deadly wounds in their bones from the words of their enemies. Um, Lord, you you show us that we're not freaks, that we're not alone. And I pray for people listening that uh, they would resist the lies of the enemy telling them that they are alone. I uh, thank you that the Psalms are good company for us and thank you that the Psalms uh, don't leave us just beholden to our our feelings. Thank you that the, the Psalms give us a grid for understanding our souls, for, for questioning our souls, for for listening to them. And I pray that you, Jesus, would set people free from denying their emotions. That in the Psalms we are given permission to actually listen and ask, why are you so downcast? And and, and I pray, Lord, that as people question their souls, that they would pour their feelings out, even if they don't understand fully the root, but that they would pour them out, that they would be asking deep questions. Why am I feeling this way? What, what is behind this? What's the thing behind the thing? And that you, by your spirit, would would reveal. Lord, some people have been wounded like the psalmist. Uh, and I pray that you would empower them to come to terms with that and, and to forgive their enemies. Um, that, that there would be healing of, of woundedness. Lord, some people are feeling a lack of control, like this man saying, I've been dumped by a breaker. All your breakers have crashed over me. And Lord, many of us feel out of control in, this, in these days, in these crazy days. But we thank you that we can acknowledge that and we can acknowledge fear and anxiety and cast it on you because you care for us. Lord, I I thank you, too, that you give us courage from your word to, to take truth and speak it to our souls. We thank you, Lord, that the truest thing about us is not what we feel, but it's actually what you say and what you say about us and what you've done for us. And I pray that the truth of the gospel, what you've done for us and what you say over us would resound through our souls, that that it would be stronger than our emotions, that your word would be an anchor for our soul. And then I pray, Jesus, that you ultimately would fill your people with your spirit, that they would drink so deeply, that they would be plunged into the waterfall of your steadfast love. We, We thank you that you, on your way to the cross, where you would carry both our sins and our anxieties, You stood up in John 7 and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him drink of me. And rivers of living water will well up from their inner being to eternal life. And we just thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is able to fill us when we're empty, who is able to empower us to pour out our souls and speak truth to our wounds. We thank you that we're not left alone. And so I pray that you would encourage people with your spirit. Jesus I pray that people would be humbly enough to say, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Lord Jesus, please fill me. Uh, thank you that there is the hope of emotional health for everyone who calls to you, for everyone who drinks of you. In Jesus' name, amen.